0: Chapter 24 THE PSYCHOLOGY OF CHRIST CONTRASTS We now begin to consider the subject of the psychology of our Lord, but let us be careful in approaching the extraordinary sanctuary which is our Lord's soul. We use the term psychology, obviously it is with a special meaning. It denotes the study of our Lord's soul, His interior sentiments, dispositions interior attitudes, his interior life. So doing, we enter a world which obliges us to meditate. For it is not enough to meditate on our Lord in his divinity, as we have done, on his union with the Father and the Holy Ghost. We must find in meditating on the soul of our Lord a lesson and an example. For the reality is that Our Lord is truly the model and the pattern of every man. It can be said without error that we have all been created to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the image of his holy soul and body. When God decided in the eternal plan, before time was, to create mankind, what was its pattern? It was the humanity of our Lord, obviously. We are all created in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, for him, in order to be members of his mystical body. He is thus the model of our humanity. Of course, when we turn our attention to the question of our Lord in his humanity, we are inclined to say that his case is extraordinary, unique. Consequently, we conclude that he must be studied as an abnormal case but doing so would be to create an illusion. Not only is his case not abnormal, but it is, on the contrary, the normal case par excellence, because he is the model of all creatures, the firstborn of all creatures, the pattern of every creature. Hence, we are not studying an abnormal case, but quite the contrary. It is not because our Lord's soul was directly assumed by God that it would not be a human soul. There has perhaps never been a soul as human as that of our Lord Jesus Christ, because by his divinity, by his omnipotence, by all the influence that God had on this extraordinary soul, he made it as human as possible, the most beautiful, the deepest, the most radiant, AND SO ENDOWED WITH EVERY PERFECTION IN WHICH THE HUMAN SOUL IS CAPABLE. GOD GAVE TO THIS SOUL POSSIBILITIES WHICH NO OTHER HUMAN SOUL WILL EVER POSSESS. THERE WILL NEVER BE ANOTHER SOUL AS PRIVILEGED AS THE SOUL OF OUR LORD IN INTELLIGENCE, IN WILL, IN HEART, IN ALL OF HIS INTERIOR DISPOSITION. YET, NEVERTHELESS, THIS SOUL IS INDEED A HUMAN SOUL. That is why it is good for us to meditate on the sanctuary which is the soul of our Lord, in order to try to discover what God, in creating it, gave us as our model and exemplar. To the degree that our own soul resembles our Lord's, it will be as God conceived it, and as God wants it to be. Studying the psychology of our Lord, we meet with such contrasts poles so far removed from each other that we wonder how there could be unity in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this soul were united seemingly irreconcilable elements, the uncreated and the created, the eternal and the mortal, the almightiness of God and the weakness of the creature, the infinite wisdom of God and the limited knowledge and wisdom of a human soul. We wonder at how, in one human being, the good God could unite such extraordinary things at one and the same time, perfect and continual joy and the most horrible suffering, sovereign peace and profound sadness. And yet, that is what existed in the soul of our Lord. In approaching the study of our Lord's soul, we may feel that it is a subject that is not for us to study because we can never attain such perfection. We are sometimes inclined to think that it would be more profitable to meditate upon the soul of the Blessed Virgin Mary, of St. Joseph, of all the saints who are much closer to us since they are creatures like us whereas the soul of our Lord completely surpasses us since it is irradiated by the divinity. Of course, the soul of our Lord enjoyed the beatific vision from the moment of his conception. As soon as the Blessed Virgin pronounced her fiat, the soul of our Lord Jesus Christ was created and was immediately placed in possession of the beatific vision. How, then, can we understand this person who possessed the beatific vision and, at the same time, lived as we do? Those who encountered our Lord in Palestine saw him as just another traveler, as any other companion for the journey, as any other dinner guest. The simplicity of the discussions and the conversations reported in the Gospels are the best proof of this. The human soul enjoyed the beatific vision But, in fact, the person was God himself, with all the power and infinitude of God. These are extraordinary realities. Moreover, if we stop and think, this is exactly what God wants us to realize. Our Lord took this soul and body in order to render glory to his Father, so that all creation might give glory to him, and in order to unite in himself, God, Eternity, and all creatures, spiritual and corporeal. All are united in the microcosm which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus all creation by our Lord rendered glory to his Father. But it is also for us that our Lord became flesh, that he came upon the earth and wanted to be our model. He thus wanted us to be like him. He wanted us, too, to participate in these things which seem almost impossible to assimilate. He wanted us to become gods. He himself said it. This is possible, of course, only to a small degree, but, nonetheless, it is so by a participation of the sanctifying grace that animated the soul of our Lord, such that we, too, might have in advance the beatific vision through faith. The faith is wholly directed towards the beatific vision. It is a stage, a temporary means which is already a kind of vision. The more holy souls possess faith, the nearer they are to this vision. The good Lord sometimes grants them a little ray of the beatific vision to elevate them even more. Such was the case of St. Paul, when he said that he had been elevated to the third heaven. How? He did not know. Was it in his spirit? Was it in his body? He knew not. What he knew is that he saw and heard things which human speech is incapable of expressing. He undoubtedly saw a little ray of the beatific vision which our Lord beheld in its plenitude. This, then, is the goal to which we must try to direct our steps, It is for this that our Lord wanted to make us participate in his grace and, by that fact, in all his virtues. Meditation upon the soul of our Lord should give us the immense desire that he might more and more take possession of our own soul, that we might become, in some way, his other humanities. This is what God wanted in creating us, that we should really be bodies and souls that our Lord can, in some way, invade, possess, direct, and in which he can sing the glory of God his Father and fill them with his Holy Spirit. The good God created us so that our Lord might truly take possession of our souls, that it might be he who commands them, who takes them in charge. This is what he does, This is what he wanted through baptism. Once baptism has been administered to a soul, it is really the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of our Lord, who takes possession of it. Withdraw impure spirit from this child and give way to the Holy Ghost. Contained in this, there is a whole rule of life, a spiritual agenda that is certainly very enriching, and at the same time very consoling to us. The good God has really given us everything necessary for our minds to become other minds of Christ, for our souls to become other souls of Christ, for our bodies to become other bodies of Christ, so that the Word might, in a certain way, be incarnated again in us, so that he might guide us to our end, Our end is the glory of God, which is the beatific vision, which is eternal happiness. For this reason, it is our custom to invoke the Blessed Virgin to help us to enter, however slightly we can, into the tabernacle which is the soul of our Lord. It is truly difficult for us to imagine what it could be, but the words of our Lord have been given to us. They make known to us the first reality that we discover in our Lord, His unity.